listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 15, and today we're talking about books released on August 18th, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello! I'm back from the West Coast. Yes, you just, you travel all over the place. I do. Which is mostly great, and it gives me lots of reading time. I read some Liberty recommendations on my trip. <gasps> what did you read? I read The Invaders by Carolina. How do you Ooh. pronounce her last name? Laclaviac, I Le-Claviac, think. Laclaviac, yes. It was really great. Wasps behaving badly. Yes. Or rich people behaving badly, as you put it. That's like a trope that I just love in fiction, and it was a very enjoyable read and kind of a perfect thing to read. We went uh, to Marina Del Rey. My husband was at a work conference at a really fancy hotel, like a fancy place that I would not normally spend money going to, and it felt like a very appropriate thing to be reading poolside there. Such a great book. I think she uh, she lives in California, so... So she would know reading it in her state. Yeah, it was great because it's I kind of I didn't read much about her. But since the book is set like, you know, what on near the Long Island sound, like basically the Hamptons. um, I wondered about her background, but it felt very appropriate to be reading by the pool of a ritzy hotel. Um, I wish I had a pool, a pool of any kind right now. It's so hot here. We should just broadcast from a kiddie pool in one of our, Ooh. in my backyard. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's disgusting here and I'm miserable. Oh, I'm sorry, kitten. <laughs> do you want to talk about some books? Would that make it better? Yes. Let's do that. Yes, let's talk about books. Uh, the first book I'm going to talk about is called Smaller and Smaller Circles by F.H. Batakin or Batakin. I looked it up on the internet. And nobody was any help. Everybody pronounced it differently. So I'm very sorry if I'm, if I'm pronouncing her last name incorrectly. Um, but moving along, this is the winner of last year's Philippine National Book Award. Um, it's, and that's very exciting. That's uh, fancy. She, yeah, it's been translated and apparently, um, from what I read, also added to. Like they had her flesh the story out more before it was printed in English. And it works. It's an amazing book. It takes place in Manila and the outside the city... The citizens, the citizens that are poorest um, live on the outskirts of this, like, 50-acre dump northeast of the city. And they discover this body um, of a young boy in the dump. And it turns out that someone is killing and mutilating young boys. Um, and it's obvious that it's a serial murderer, but the police aren't really that interested. They're not mm. giving the murders priority because the victims are among the city's poorest residents. And, and there's really no one to speak for them. So enter... Father Gus and Father Jerome, two of my new favorite fictional people. They're so fantastic. Father Gus is a forensic anthropologist, and he has been asked by the director of the National Bureau of Investigations to assist the police in their investigation into the murders. And Father Jerome, like, they're actual priests, like they're fathers. Um, He is a psychologist, and he's also Father Gus's protege, and he's helping with the investigation. And together, they work to try and catch the killer before another boy is murdered. Um, There's also this subplot involving Gus's nemesis, who is a bad priest accused of abusing boys who the church just kind of shuffles from parish to parish because they don't want to admit that these things are happening, much like, you know, happens in in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just loved Gus and Jerome. I love them. They're both so smart, and they're friendly, and they're funny, and they're very kind, and, like, their temperament never wavers at all throughout the whole story, like, in the face of violence or horror. They're just, like, really kind, like, nice guys. And I just thought they were a great detective duo. 
And I really, really hope that she's planning on writing more books with them because they're awesome. They'd also make, like, a really great, like, BBC series. Yeah, this is a show that I want to watch. Like, crime-solving priests. Yes. Yes. I'm really hoping that that they turn it into some kind of series. Um, A thing that's also amazing about this book is that it is widely regarded as being the first Filipino crime novel. What? Yeah, like, the first one, which is just crazy to me. Um, it's amazing that you could be the first at anything in this day In 2015. Yeah. Like, unless it's involving space exploration or, you know, something insane like, I don't know, being the first person to climb Everest with a mouthful of jello and three lemurs strapped to your back. I don't know. (laughs) But, like, yeah, so first Filipino crime novel. It's amazing. Check it out. It's called Smaller and Smaller Circles. I'm going to read that. It's so good. I'm going to read that. It sounds awesome. Awesome. Uh, before I do our first, my first pick for the week, I want to do our first sponsor. And Book Riot took our sponsor spots this week again because we can. They're we ours. Love to. We can do what we want with them. Um, this one I'm so excited about. We have the Book Riot store. If you haven't visited, you go to store.bookriot.com. Bunches of original Book Riot designs. And our store is powered by the folks at Out of Print Clothing. So you can also buy awesome t-shirts with your favorite um, book covers and other designs on them. There are like band book socks and some library card designs. But this is brand new. It's a t-shirt we've been working on forever. Uh, and it says, read or die. It's a black shirt with a skull and some books on it and it's awesome and very book riot-y. These are brand new in the Book Riot store this week. We're phasing out some of our older designs. We talked about those last week and as we phase them out, we're bringing in new things and this latest one is the Read or Die t-shirts. They're so great. We'll put a link to them in the show notes so that you can check them out. But you can also, if you're listening uh, on Tuesday, you're listening on the day that the t-shirts launch. So you can go to store.bookriot.com and snag your very own read or die t-shirt. And we have men's and women's styles. They're really great and edgy and very book riot-y. Like, I think this is the most book riot-y thing that I have ever been part of making. And I'm I'm excited for everyone to wear them. Did you know that I have a read or die tattoo? I did know that. Yeah. Now, if I get one of these shirts, which I will, like, is that, like, wearing the shirt to see the band that you're, like, wearing the shirt of? Is that, like, not really cool? Or is it okay? There's just no way that you're not cool. So, I think it's fine. Okay. Yeah, I think it's okay. In fact, I think that maybe the ba- in the back of my brain, this t-shirt was inspired by having seen that tattoo on you. Yeah. Um, so, People yeah. ask me all the time what it says. Mm-hmm. They're like, what is your, because it's like a banner. I'm like, it says read or die, it says read or die. Now I'm just like, it says leave me alone. <laughs> it says don't ask me what this says. Oh, it's like my first tattoo was a Chinese character that I got when I was 18 when that was really cool. And it stands for dream because I was 18 and it was my first tattoo. But now I tell people it means regret. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But a thing that you won't regret is getting a read or die t-shirt at the Book Riot store. So click your way to book nerd happiness and check that out. All right. So my first pick, because I've been on a short story roll lately, is I Was a Revolutionary. This is a collection of short stories by Andrew Malin Millward. He is a native of Lawrence, Kansas, which is where Jeff and I went to grad school. Well, Jeff went to college and I went to grad school there. And so if you listen to the main Book Riot podcast, you've heard us talk about Lawrence and Kansas City a whole lot. Um, So I have an 
an extra layer of connection to this collection. All the stories here take place in and around Lawrence, and they're grounded in Kansas's history, which is more complicated than most people know or acknowledge. I grew up in Kansas. I lived there from when I was eight to um, until I left for college when I was 18. And most of the things that come up in this book are things that I never learned about in the like one unit of Kansas history that we did in history class each year. And they're mostly around radical Kansans. And it spreads from the Civil War to the present day. The first collect the first story um, is about Quantrill's raid, uh, which is post Civil War. Uh, Quantrill was a uh, basically Confederate rebel. He was in favor of states' rights. He wanted to make Kansas uh, a state that was not a free state. Uh, and he led this raid through Lawrence where they killed most of the boys and men, the majority of the boys and men who lived uh, in Lawrence to try to, you know, take it back. His ultimate goal was to get to have to have the Confederate army like recognize him uh, as awesome and make him a general that never happened. Uh, but this collection or the sh this story in the collection moves between his perspective and some other people that were involved in the raid. There's also a piece about a black family um, that moves between the 50s and the 70s, the 1950s and the 1970s. The father is home from war, presumably the Korean War, but it's not stated specifically in the text and is dealing with some post-war trauma. Other members of the family, as it moves up through the 70s, are involved in resistance movements. One of them becomes a hippie. Um, and so there's an interesting angle. You don't hear much about black hippies uh, and uh, black hippies and their families that were Black Panthers. It's really a fascinating story. Um, one is about a grad student who's assisting a historian with her research, and it makes him think about how history is told and which narratives win um, in becoming the way that we tell history, even when that's not maybe what actually happened. And there's one about a middle-aged gay, gay couple where one of them is a doctor in a Kansas abortion clinic, which is a very radical thing to be in Kansas. And the other man in that couple knew the son of John Brinkley, who is famously known as the goat gonad doctor. He's the guy, John Brinkley was the real person who got rich um, by putting goat testing testicles into men's bodies, uh, claiming that it would give them increased virility. And um, there's all this, it's this book is so well researched and so fascinating and so believable in the ways that Andrew Malin Millward incorporates real Kansas history and these real uh, radical people who were, you know, radical in their own ways throughout the state's history. Uh, each vignette stands on its own, but taken together, they tell a bigger story about how a place's history shapes it's present and how moments from centuries ago are responsible for leading up to the way that the place is now. Lawrence remains the liberal blue spot in the middle of a red conservative state. Uh, and having lived there for a few years and grown up in Kansas, um, I especially appreciated the way that he tells this. But I think it's a really relevant collection, no matter who you are, especially if, like some other people on this podcast, you are a Civil War history buff. It's a great collection. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, now, getting back to goat gonads. <laughs> like you do. Um, have you read the Pope Brock book? That's my backlist bump. That's I'm, I'm talking about that book <gasps> in the next round. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll stop right now. So you move to your next pick. Okay. My next pick is also a book of short stories. I've read so many short stories since a few weeks ago when I announced that I hardly ever read short stories. <laughs> That's like all I've done now. But this You're compensating. Is, this is so exciting because the collection that I'm going to tell you about now is called Fortune Smiles by Adam Johnson. 
Now, this is, like, Adam Johnson, author of The Orphan Master's Son, the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. It's, like, have you read The Orphan Master's Son? I haven't. I missed it. Like, I'll get to it sometime. Oh, my goodness. I could talk about it until your face melted off. Until everyone's (laughs) face melted off. I could talk about it for days. I mean, it's so incredible. And it only came out in 2012. Like, in my brain, it came out, like, ten years ago, and I've just been waiting, waiting, waiting for something new from Adam Johnson. And it's here. It's finally here. It's a collection of short stories. Um, it's only six stories. They're each quite long. Uh, the title story is about two North Korean defectors who wind up in Seoul, um, how they try to adjust to their new surroundings there. The first story, which was my favorite story, is about a digital programmer whose wife is paralyzed from the shoulders down, and he deals with her illness and his grief by creating a hologram of an assassinated president and, what? and talking to it at night. Yeah. Plus there's drones and Kurt Cobain. It's so awesome. Um, one is about the warden of a Stasi prison. Uh, one is about a man searching for the mother of his son in post-Katrina, Louisiana. Um, the thing about Adam Johnson is that, like, no matter what he writes about, whether it's plausible or not, his writing is so effortless. Like, it just all feels real. I mean, everyone's writing kind of seems effortless. Like, this, these are the words that they use. But his he reminds me so much of George Saunders, mm. if you've read him. Mm-hmm. Um, he reminds me of George Saunders in that way. Just, like, amazing storytelling that opens your brain wide to, like, all possibilities. He's so incredible. I could go on and on for the rest of the 30 minutes, but I'm not going to because we're going to get back to goats. So Back that, to the goats. <laughs> back to the goats. So that was Fortune Smiles by the amazing Adam Johnson. So while I was reading I Was a Revolutionary and I got to the story where one of the characters knows the son of John Brinkley, it reminded me as you just mentioned of a great backlist title. So I'm going to steal from the way that you do the new books newsletter and do a backlist bump here in lieu of another new release. Um, And I want to talk about Charlatan by Pope Brock, which is a biography of John Brinkley, who was the doctor that claimed putting goat testicles into men made them more virile. And the crazy thing about this surgery that he performed, he performed it on thousands of people for $700 a piece way back in the day, which I should have like looked up an online conversion thing to figure out what $700 in John Brinkley's day is equivalent to these days, but lots of money. He got really super rich in his time period doing that. And often the surgery worked because not because goat testicles are actually an efficient and effective way to make men more virile, but because a large large percentage of sexual dysfunction is psychological and so the placebo effect came into play. That is when the people didn't get sick and have awful side effects from having goat testicles in their bodies. Pope Rock was uh, or sorry John Brinkley was really brilliant and used all of the money that he made or a large portion of the money he made to buy radio equipment and airtime so that he could advertise his services nationwide over the airwaves. He basically created modern radio where most of the programming was entertainment and he used that to draw people in so that they would be listening when he went on the air a couple of times a day to give his medical talks about the services that he provided. A really brilliant huckster snake oil salesman. Uh, When the United States kicked him off the airwaves, he bought a tower uh, just over the line in Mexico that had more power than anything in the United States did. And it was so powerful that then he could broadcast and people like in the Middle East could hear him. It's it's just like this is an unbelievable true story about a larger than life person. Um, And he was hunted basically for 
decades by Dr. Morris Fishbein from the American Medical Association who wanted to prove that Brinkley was a huckster and a charlatan, that there was nothing medically accurate or sound about the surgery that he was providing. And so Fishbein is Brinkley's nemesis, essentially. And through the book, Pope Brock traces Brinkley's history, how he develops this surgery and gets famous doing it, and also Morris Fishbein's ongoing efforts to to prove that he is a fraud and ultimately how Fishbein traps Brinkley into revealing that into revealing himself as a sham. It's so great. This is just a crazy piece of history uh, and a, a really unusual bit of science history as well. The book rang a bunch of my bells for, you know, like larger than life, true stories, characters, strange science history. It's I, I, you've read it, too, apparently. I love it. <laughs> It's it's fascinating because he's considered by some to be one of America's most famous serial killers because mm. he this surgery that he performed lots of people died. Yeah. So he he was considered, you know, to be a murderer by some. Mm-hmm. Just so amazing. And I had the uh, good fortune of meeting Pope Brock a couple oh, did of you years really? ago. Yeah, he was in the bookstore where I worked and I was telling him how much I love this book and I asked him if he was working on something else and he told me that he was writing a book about the future of space but oh. that it was going a lot uh, more slowly than writing this last book because he was writing about something that hadn't happened yet as opposed to history. And I was like, that's so deep. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, uh, hopefully he's still working on it and we'll get to see it soon. But yeah, I just, I love this book. A great writer. This was one of those, I, I don't usually like it when people say it's nonfiction that reads like fiction because that kind of acts like nonfiction can't be compelling and fascinating and a quick read on its own. But it feels that way, mainly because Brinkley is so ridiculous uh, yeah. that it, it feels like he had to be a made up character. But he was a real man who did these real things that had very real and often harmful effects on people. And the story is just fascinating like it's a it's a kind of thing that wouldn't happen right now but then but we have our own you know 21st century hucksters as well um it's it, i just really loved it yeah John, so that's charlatan by pope brock his yelp reviews would be terrible <laughs> just, just absolutely but really awful. fun to read yeah yeah what's next for you the next book i'm going to talk about is called the incarnations by susan barker and holy cats this novel knocked my socks off and I have to tell you, I've had it for months, and I kept being like, I need to get to this, I need to get to this, I need to get to this, and then it didn't look like I was going to get to it, and then I read a book that I was considering to talk about today, and I didn't enjoy it that much, so I was like, all right, I'll try and squeeze it in. So I just read it this morning. Oh, and it's fresh. And I loved it. I loved it. Um, it starts in Beijing, and there's this cab driver named Wang who starts receiving these weird anonymous letters, like they're being left in his cab. And the writer of the letters claims to be his soulmate, and that they have known Wang for a thousand years through all of his previous lives, which he does not remember. Um, but he's understandably freaked out because these letters are kind of strange, and he's and like the writer of the letters says that they know like where he lives and they know who his wife is and like where his daughter goes to school. Uh, so he goes to this to the police, but they're like, eh, this is like some ridiculous prank, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not all that concerned. Um, so as the novel progresses, you learn about Wang and his soulmate and what they were to each other in their previous incarnations. Like, you hear the stories, like, starting back in, like, the 600s. Um, you know, they were slaves and maids and prostitutes and fishermen and guards. Um, and their relationship to each other was not always pleasant and it did not always end well. Um, but it's so fascinating. It's such a great novel. Uh, the writing is really quite brilliant and 
It's also quite dark. Mm. I like I like a dark book. It's quite dark. Um, you know, he and his soulmate have not had it very easy in any of their lives. You know, there's forced marriages and rapes and castration and, um, like I said, prostitution. And, but Susan Barker weaves Chinese history into each of their lives, like Genghis Khan and the Opium Wars and Mao's Revolution. Um, and as Wang receives more and more of these letters explaining who he was, he's, he starts to believe. Like, he thinks he's losing his mind, but he also is like... I, you know, he begins to believe that he actually has been reincarnated. Um, so I'm so glad that I read this book this morning so I can share my love of it with all of you because it's so fantastic. Um, and again, it's called The Incarnations by Susan Barker. Awesome. Okay, before my next pick, it's time for another Book Riot sponsor spot. I really want us to have a soundboard so we can like have horns honking and cats mewling and stuff before these spots, especially uh, if you have not heard or if you're still on the fence and I don't know why you would be. Book Riot is hosting our first live event on November 7th and 8th in New York. It's called Book Riot Live and it's two days of book nerd heaven. There will be panels, but not the kinds of panels that you've seen at other book events. It's not just like here's mystery and here's romance and here are your thrillers. We're taking uh, diverse authors, mixing them up to talk about bigger issues in writing and publishing and the reading life. Uh, so you'll be seeing that there will be a bunch of vendors. You can shop to your book nerd hearts content to get t-shirts and tote bags and notebooks and all sorts of stuff. We will definitely have our read or die t-shirts on hand there uh, if that's a thing that you are into. There's a game of Bookish Jeopardy hosted by Ryan Chapman who's been doing Bookish Jeopardy around New York City for several years and it'll be exactly what it sounds like. Authors, industry folks, and readers going head-to-head -head in a battle of wits. We're going to do live recordings of our podcasts, including this very one that you are listening to as well. Uh, Liberty and I will make Muppet arms at each other in person, not in a kiddie pool, unless there's like a special Kickstarter to fund that. Um, there's... <laughs> I believe that cat suits were mentioned in a previous spot. We made a lot of promises oh, that we can't cash so in on. Hot. Right now, I can't even think about cat suits. It's too hot in here. <laughs> think about November in New York. It'll yes. be beautiful and cool. Uh, there's a great panel that I'm really excited to see called The Many Faces of Fandom that is a uh, people who are sort of book adjacent who do things uh, online and who make stuff inspired by the books that they love. So there's Marco Shiro from Mark Does Stuff, which is a great Tumblr and YouTube channel. Ellie, uh, Elia Bisker, who is from the, she's a musician with a band called Sweet Soubrette, and she's from the Bushwick Book Club, which is a group of musicians who all read the same book, and then they get together, and instead of just talking about the book, each of them writes a song inspired by it, and you can go and see their performances where they all, like, where everyone performs a song inspired by The Great Gatsby, or The Invaders, or The Orphan Master's Son, or whatever they've read. Um, so there will be cool uh, things like that. There's a farm to table panel about how a book gets made. We've got uh, an event called Fighting the Good Fight, Turning Awareness into Action that takes the social justice issues that we talk about a lot at Book Riot and has people whose, jo whose jobs and lives are focused on bringing uh, equity and social justice into publishing and using books um, and our reading lives to further social justice goals and a whole bunch of other great stuff. There are some fancy cocktail parties in the Strands 
rare book room that you definitely want to get in on. And that is just a taste. So if that sounds like fun, if you want to come hang out with us, with the Book Riot team and with 1500 other book lovers to just nerd out for two days, check out bookriotlive.com for all of the information and use the code MORECATS, all one word, MORECATS, at checkout to save 20 bucks on your registration. We hope to see you there. Okay. I, ooh, I want to tell you something exciting. Tell me, tell me. I had the privilege of hanging out with one of the authors who will be talking at Book Riot Live in November, Mike oh, Cole. Yeah. I got to meet him this week, and he's so great, and I can't wait for everyone else to meet him, because he's really smart and fun, and it's going to be awesome. He's doing a, a fitness yeah, he does. He teaches writing workshops. And so he's going to do like a live writing workshop that has workout stuff built into it. So it'll be like you r- do a writing challenge for 10 minutes and then we'll all do like a bunch of jumping jacks or something. He, he's amazing. His upper arm is like as big around as my head. I mean, he's he's definitely the person to teach it. Yeah. And he's perfect for this event because we talk so much at Book Riot about how bookish people aren't just bookish people, how we have really broad interests and, you know, how being into books makes you interested in so many other things about the world. So combining books and exercise, which people tend to think are mutually exclusive but are not mutually exclusive, is a a really fun event. I'm super excited for that one. Um, I'm glad you got to meet him. I'm jealous. Oh, he's so nice. And he gave me homework. What's your homework? Oh, it's the best kind of homework. It's reading homework. He was like, here's a list of books I think you would like. Read them and we'll talk about them. And I was like, yeah. So are you just going to like write reports and show up at his table at Book Riot Live (laughs) and be like, hi, Mike Cole. I read the books and here are my thoughts. Yeah. Maybe I'll just tweet at him. (laughs) Awesome. A person that I would like to tweet at is the author of my next pick. Do you see what I did there? Nice. (laughs) Forgetting to be Afraid by Wendy Davis is out in paperback this week, and I'm listening to it on audio. I'm currently about halfway through. I really love it. Uh, If you recall, in 2013, Wendy Davis famously filibustered the Texas State House um, in opposition to Rick Perry's anti-abortion bill. She's the daughter of a single mother, and this book is about how her family history and how her own personal experiences, including one in which she very nearly became a single mother herself, shaped her politics and uh, reproductive rights and the fight for women's rights and women's health care that have defined her career as a politician. It's really an honest and inspiring story. Of course, there's there's like an angle to any politician's memoir that's Maybe I'm writing this book to demonstrate how great I am to the people that are in my political wheelhouse and set myself up for a presidential run. But as that as books like that go, this is really great. And it does make me want to vote for Wendy Davis. Um, She had such a moment in our culture and was such did took such an important stand, said really important things and used her voice in a way that I found to just be really powerful and made me glad that there for the younger women in my life that there are women in politics who are fighting for these things and saying them the way that Wendy Davis is saying them. If you wanted to know more about the woman that you saw um, in 2013 filibustering the state house for all of those hours and through all of that controversy, I I definitely recommend it. It's great on audio and it's out in paperback now, so you know can't lose either way. That's forgetting to be afraid. So the last book that I'm going to talk about uh, is more short stories. Yay! And it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. This this is where you might ha- really have to cut me off because <laughs> I'm going to talk about Thunderstruck and Other Stories by Elizabeth McCracken, who is my She's favorite so person great. in the world. She's my favorite. She is my idol. 
I love her so much. I could just rave about that forever. Um, her novel, The Giant's House, is pretty much the most perfect thing I've ever read. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but uh, it's I have about not the friendship. Read it. Oh, it's about the friendship between a librarian and a boy who won't stop growing. It's absolutely perfect. Oh. Um, and her collection, Thunderstruck and Other Stories, is now out in paperback. Um, this is her first short story collection in 20 years. Uh, she has another short story collection, another novel, and a memoir besides this in the Giant's House. Um, she she only publishes every once in a while, so when she does, you should listen. You know, <laughs> read everything she does. Um, this collection was nominated for pretty much everything last year when it came out um, because she is a master of her craft. She writes these razor-sharp stories of almost everyday life, but there's always something a little dark, something a little mm, off about mm-hmm. the things in her stories. Um, One story is about how the manager of a grocery store becomes fixated on the teenage son of a woman who has gone missing. The title story is about a family who moves to Paris only to have things take a real dark turn. Uh, There's a ghost story about an unpleasant girl who winds up murdered. Um, These stories remind me a lot of Shirley Jackson, who Mm -hmm. I was raving about on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Just every sentence she writes is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And I think it's because, you know, she takes so much time between between each thing she publishes. You know, she probably just polishes these until they're perfect. And, you know, everyone should pay attention to everything she does because she's the best. And I'm just going to keep babbling about her. So I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> now you say something good about her. <laughs> this was my first experience reading <sighs> Elizabeth McCracken. And it's because mostly you have raved about her for so many years, for as long as we've known each other. You've talked about The Giant's House, which I am going to read someday. But I was really floored. I loved the mix of it. Like the writing is so incisive and she just makes these observations about her characters that make you feel like, it would be great to know her because she would observe things about your own life that are so true you can't deny them. But also it would be terrifying because she would see stuff that you maybe <laughs> <Yes>. don't <laughs> that you don't want other people to see. And there's like a touch of magic, but you just believe it all the way. It's it's really wonderful. It made me want to read all of her backlist. Um, and I don't think there's a higher compliment than that for when you discover a new writer and you just want to read everything that they've ever written. Um I really, really loved it. And I'm sorry that I slept on reading her for so long. Thunderstruck is wonderful. Oh, um, okay. That was your chance. Yeah, my, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Uh, my last pick this week is another one of the big debut novels of the year, since we can't seem to go an episode without talking about how great of a year 2015 is for debuts. It's called The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Furutan. This one I'm also about halfway through, because I had the same experience this week. I got derailed. I read a book that I thought I was going to talk about, and then it ended in a way that I did not want to it made me not want to talk about it so I got derailed and I was trying to catch up the girl from the garden uh, is about a wealthy Persian Jewish family in early 20th century Iran the uh, man at the head of the family most wants a male heir to inherit their wealth and that's the one thing that he can't seem to get Uh, his wife is trapped in this oppressive marriage and the oppressive tradition that values uh, boy children more than girls. And she's not able to give her husband the one thing that he most needs. Um, She's desperate to conceive and her husband is desperate to have a son and makes a decision about how to get one that ultimately shatters their family and risks the family status within their community. Um, So the whole thing is around this crisis of inheritance, but really gives us 
a bird's eye view into uh, into what was going on with the different members of the family and has a frame story that is set in more contemporary uh, times in the United States and flashes back to this Persian Jewish family in early 20th century Iran. So it spans a lot of history uh, and uh, multiple parts of the globe. Um, and I thought, so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to finding out how it ends. So that is The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Furutan. I definitely want to read that. What are you going to read now? Well, I'm having a little crisis. Like sometimes oh, no. I get so I get so overwhelmed with how much I have to read, which is really stressful when you read for a living. Like <laughs> when you're like, ah, I don't know what to read. I just want to lay on the floor. So I'm revisiting a very old and dear friend. I've been slowly rereading. A Prayer for Owen Me oh, by yay. John Irving. I yeah. want to mail you a stuffed armadillo now. <laughs> yeah, because because it's really, it's one of the most wonderful novels ever. And I remember, like, it came out when I was in middle school, and it was so important to me, and it was so incredible. And so I've just been kind of, like, slowly reading through that today, trying to, like, clear my brain. And, yeah, so if That's you a- have not read it, it really is one of the greatest novels ever. It is. And it's such a good one to revisit. I think I've reread that book more than almost any other on my shelf. And I'm not a big rereader. Um, the Sparrow is the only thing that I've read more than I've read A Prayer for Owen Meaning. What are you going to read? I am going to read a book that just showed up in the mail called The Girl Who Wrote Loneliness. It's a novel by Kyung Suk Shin. She wrote a novel called Please Look After Mom that came out a few years ago and was very popular. Um, this is about a teenage girl who, uh, it's said in the 1970s, a teenage girl who is sent to Seoul, Korea to work in a factory while her family is still in the countryside and they're too poor to send her to school. So she works these long sunless days on an assembly line in a stereo factory. Um, Kyung Suk Shin is Korea's big, bright, young literary star. Um, and this is a coming of age story against the backdrop of um, industrial sweatshops in Korea in the 1970s that takes on exploitation, oppression, and um, the urbanization that moved Korea's economy out of uh, the aftermath of war and into being more thriving. It's also apparently ri- richly autobiographical of Kyung Suk Shin's own experience. And I'm looking forward to finding out what that's about. I didn't read Please Look After Mom, but several booksellers that I know were raving about it and widely recommending it when it was out a few years ago. So um, when, the, I, when I was opening my book mail this morning, I was really surprised and delighted to see that she has another book coming out. And it'll probably do the thing that catapults me into reading her back list as well. So that is The Girl Who Wrote Loneliness is what I'm going to read. Um, that's our show That's this our week. show. You can go to the Book Riot store at store.bookriot.com to get your Read or Die t-shirt. I highly recommend that you do. And of course, go to bookriotlive.com and use the code MORECATS at checkout to save 20 bucks on your registration. Come hang out with us on November 7th and 8th. It's going to be a big nerdalicious party and we want you to be there you can drop us a line about the show at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on twitter i am at rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y liberty is miss liberty and if you would take a minute if you like our show to rate or review it on itunes lets us know how we're doing but more importantly it helps other book lovers find the show and learn about the books that are coming out every week which is why we're here so that makes us happy Uh, and thanks to all of you who have taken time to rate and review the show so far yes thank you so much for that we really appreciate that 
Um, and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find the link to our weekly new books newsletter written by yours truly, where you can learn about even more titles out today. And that's it. Happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>